Welcome to the Paranormal Pendle Podcast, coming to you from the heart of Pendle Witch Country in the northwest of England. My name is Craig Bryant, author, investigator, and collector of stories. Join me as we take a journey into the paranormal, UFO sightings, cryptozoology, and big cats. This is the Paranormal Pendle Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Paranormal Pendle, broadcasting to the Paranormal UK Radio Network at PAUK.com. On this episode, I'm talking to Mick McLaren, member of the BBR group, which is the Being Believed Investigations, and lead investigator of the Winter Hill Investigation Team. So Mick, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, well, um, I started uh, at first working on layer lines, and I got, I got into layer lines. I went to a few conferences um, just before 2012, and um, I, one of these conferences was uh, about layer lines, and, uh, you know, it piqued my interest, so I thought, you know, I'll, I'll get some books and read about this, and... Um, and as I was reading about that, I came across a, a, a really good book. Um, and you probably heard it heard of it yourself, in Mysterious Lancashire by uh, Rick, uh, sorry, Philip Rickman. And uh, funnily enough, all these ley lines that are in this book are around Winter Hill. Uh, and it piqued me interest even more because it was close to home. Uh, so, so I did a lot of... Um, research on the layer lines and um, I would go and visit in places uh, because as you know with layer lines it's uh, more than five sites and they class it as, as a layer uh, especially when they're in a straight line so I was doing this and I started at a place on Winter Hill um, called Roundlaw because it was a place I always wanted to go and visit because I had heard people talk about it. And it, it is smack bang in the middle of uh, Angles Art Moor, uh, which is just on the um, north side of Winter Hill, uh, towards Charlie. And as I, uh, I got there one day, and uh, and it, it was a really nice day, and I'd gone on my own, and I was sat there, and I was just thinking about, you know, like, uh, where the other places were, the, the, the maps I was looking at, were showing me which way the lines would go. So I started following what I thought was the layer lines at the time. I started following uh, one particular one, which led me across to um, Croston. I didn't know it went further than Croston at first. I thought, you know, it, it stayed at Croston because they had all these sites. And after Croston, I went, it didn't seem to go anywhere else. Uh, and then I decided to start looking on the other side. Um from Roundloaf to the other side, uh, to the east side, and realised that it was following old ancient sites, uh, stone circles, going that way. And then it stopped at another cross. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. It starts at one cross and ends up at another cross. There's cross, and then there's a what called Pilgrim's Cross on Oakham Moor. Uh, in between all that, there's about seven or eight different sites. Um, and, I, and I said realizing that on these sites we were getting all the folklore stories as well you know about the white ladies and uh, ghost boggets and things like that as i'm looking into this i've got a bit of an obsession as well with maps i love looking at old maps um and overlaying on the the new maps as well so you know like we see where all these old sites are so as as i were doing that uh, i would realize it i I actually came across uh, a map by Deborah Atswell, who's uh, edited the BBR investigations. Uh-huh. And I said in noticing when I put my map and her map together, my lines seem to be, uh, along my lines, sorry, uh, seem to be her sightings, sightings what she'd come across and put on the where people have been in touch and uh, she'd she'd taken their reports and she puts it down on put it down on this uh, big Google map yeah. uh, which she has uh, and um, so I got in touch with Debbie uh, and I, like I mentioned this 
because I, at first I used to think, you know, like crypt, cryptids, you know, like it's not my sort of thing. You know, I, I was thinking it's a bit way out there. And with what I'd been researching with the ley lines and paranormal things happening, I thought, well, you know, like, let's go down this avenue and see where it takes me. So I got in touch with Debbie. We, we had a chat. We had a meet. Um, and it just, like, stemmed from there. And, and uh, one day she got in touch with me and, and said, you know, like, could you do an interview for us? And this is the interview which... Uh, it's up on my YouTube channel, uh, and it's Dave and Adam when they, they had their experience with uh, being growled at up on Winter Hill. Uh, and it, it was that was the start of me getting um, witnesses coming to me as well. So not only was it using Deborah's site and using some of her uh, accounts, I been getting some of my accounts as well and, and now we're sort of like working together with that and uh, anything I get goes onto this map as well as Debbie's. Okay, so um, for people that don't know anything about Winter Hill, could you just sort of describe whereabouts it is, you know, in relation to the northwest of England? Yeah, well, um, it's, it's in Lancashire. Oh, part Lancashire, part Greater Manchester. Whereas a, a lot of people in Greater Manchester don't like the idea of that. <laughs> um, so it, it sort of borders the boroughs of Charlie, Black, Blackburn and Darwin, and Bolton. So it's sort of like in the middle there. Uh, it's on the West Pennine Moors. Um, it's not too far from Manchester. In fact, it's not too far from any main city. You've got Manchester, uh, there's Blackburn, um, you pre Preston, wherever you are in that, that part of the world, you can look up and, and see the mast, uh, the big television mast on, on top of Winter Hill. Uh -huh. uh, it's, it's, a vast, it's quite a big moorland area as well with a few woods here and there. Quite a lovely place to uh, be up there, because you can see, you can actually see over to Pendle Hill, you can see over to Blackpool Tower, and looking behind, you can see Snowdonia, you know, like, and, and all the Welsh coastline. So it's it's quite elevated, and it's it's very um, very windswept, and I mean, the, the, what sort of landscape is it? Well, the landscape, it, it's, some places is, it's really, really boggy, uh, especially at this time of year, going up there. You've got to be careful where you're going because if you stray from the paths that are up there, even the paths at uh, this time of year can get very muddy to the point where you're slipping around or, you, you know, you can fall over. There's, there's been a lot of uh, maintaining rescue uh, attempts up there because people have gone up there uh, with the lockdown not knowing what, sort of shoes to wear and they've been like breaking their ankles and mounting rescues been going up there and, and you know like rescuing them and getting them back to the hospitals um it's yeah it's, it's boggy as you go higher up and then as you start coming lower down you, you come to like the nice grass areas and fields and going into the wooded areas but right at the top it's uh, not advisable to walk around if you if you're unsure of the more, any wild moorland. Yeah. So you'd say it's a pretty remote place then? Yeah, it, it's uh, 456 metres uh, above sea level, making it 1,498 foot high. Uh, so you, you know it's pretty high. It's, it's not far off, I suppose, from being a mountain. You've obviously been doing some investigations into some quite weird things that have been happening up on Winter Hill. Why did you decide to start the Winter Hill investigation team? And what sort of investigations have you been carrying out? The reason I started uh, our small team, what we have at the moment, is because it, it, it was it would get quite too much for me. Uh, because I work during the week and then at weekends it was just doing what I do. Uh, but I wanted to do more because there was a lot more 
out there. There was a lot more things happening at, at, at the time. So we decided uh, it would me and Debs, we got together and decided, you know, it would be good to have BBI members coming helping. So the members I've got helping me at the moment are um, BB, the They've been uh, BBI members for quite a while as well, but they're local uh, to me. So the team I have at the moment, you know, we've we've got to a point where we've become quite good friends and we're very close and and it's becoming more of a, you know, like going out, enjoying yourself, looking for these things as well, looking for the things we've come across. Uh, It's sort of like a... A social uh, early morning or you know late on at night because we do go up. Uh, we've we've been up at half four in the morning. You know we've been up there at twelve. Sometimes half two in the morning. You know we we do go up there late at night when these things are probably happening to see what we can come across. So can I ask what sort of things you've been investigating and what's sort of prompted your investigations? Have people been uh, contacting you uh, direct with uh, things that have been going on up there? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'll start from uh, when we first uh, started investigating. We, um, Like I said, Deb got in touch with me and asked if I could interview uh, these two fellas, Dave and Adam. Um, and at the time, they were, they were up there um, looking for rabbits and they'd gone up one night, and as they were, they were, they got out of the van. They've not got far from the road to the field, and in there's like a, a an old stone wall that was partly down, and they they walk, went over that, walked through uh, this area onto the field, and they came across a a sheep that was because it was October as well, um. It was cold and it, it had been drizzling, so it was pitch dark. They couldn't see in front of them without the torches. Because they'd been going up there rabbiting, they didn't bother with torches. Uh, you know, they, they, were, they, they had them on them, but they didn't have them on. Um, and they bumped into the sheep, looked down at, and saw that it had been a, it were a dead sheep. It had been sort of like ripped open. It was still steaming. Uh, blood and guts everywhere, and it startled them, and then they heard a growl, not knowing what it was. He got, you know, Davey got his torch out, and he's looking around, unsure of what it was. He said he saw eye shine, like a, a red eye shine, and it quickly went down. At this point, they were both really, really scared, nervous, didn't know what to do. They had this thing growling at them. Um, they just bumped into this dead sheep, uh, which was a, a real mess. They, they both sort of like went down the field, sort of back to back, because Dave's ex-military, and he was like, his military side kicked in. So he's with the torch, and he had his friend at the side of him, and they're looking, you know, one going one way, one going the other way, making sure, you know, they're all right. And they got to the fence, and uh, the the younger of the fellas he jumped over the fence, whereas they went through the uh, the gate, um, and they got onto the road going back down to the van, and they sort of would be in shadow from the left and to the right as they were walking down. Some it was growling on the left, and then the next minute it was on the right, and they were heading down towards the van. And he just kept doing this until they got in the van. And they just drove off. As, as they drove off, like they, they made sure they were they were quite a fair distance from the hill itself. Um, and they started like they got the phones out, you know, like to try and recognize what this growl was. Uh, and everything they put into the growl, you know, like with Google, every, everything they put in, the growl of a, a dog, the growl of a cat, you know, like big cat. Uh, and Dave messing around says, growl of a werewolf. And that's what the noise was uh, when they played it back. So they was under the impression that they bumped into a werewolf up there. So did they actually see what it was, or did they just see the eyes? As he was swinging the torch around, he saw something move, a shape move down quickly. Right. Where it was on the, because it was a higher up on the hill, 
Uh, it looked taller than what it was. Um, but he did say red eye shine. He caught red eye shine as he was swinging the torch round. But as he went back with the torch quickly uh, to shine it in the direction it was, uh, there was nothing there. Um, Interesting that you mentioned that he that when they found the the carcass, it was um, I think I think you said it was it was still steaming, which yeah. suggests that it was a very very fresh recent kill. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing that that's interesting from from Harry that described it is the fact that you said there was a lot of blood and and you know blood and guts basically. Yeah. Um, a lot of the sheep and and car, you know cow mutilation cases that are unexplained, there tends to be very little blood and and very little disturbance around the animal. So, for instance, I was speaking to Paul Sinclair for a, a podcast uh, number three, and he mentioned finding animal carcasses, deer carcasses where there was no blood, almost surgical incisions in the animal. Um, now, that sounds completely the opposite to what these guys found, which would suggest that whatever had done this is something different to what's doing the, the usual type of animal mutilations. So what happened after they were moving away from the carcass then? Did they manage to get back to the car and just drive off or...? They got back to the car and drove off. Uh, they went back home, and then uh, the that's when I think it was Dave's partner who got in touch with Deb, um, Debbie Outswanley, and told told her about this the, what had happened, and that's when she'd asked me to go up. Now it it does get stranger because when I went interviewing them. We went back up there as well, and we went looking round the field, and we came across another one, which was an older death, and this one had the skull embedded in the wall, and a bit of the vertebrae had been placed on the wall, on top of the wall as well, uh, which I thought was quite strange. But I've heard people say, "Well, people do this, you know, like so the dogs don't, can't get to the bones." But they wouldn't place just like the head, the skull of the carcass on the wall and leave the rest of it there because the dog would go and start chewing on the rest of it. Uh, and then as we went back to the first one, what they come across, bear in mind this is about a week after when I went up uh, looking at these, uh, we found on top of the wall near the first kill Part of the dry stone wall up like a pyramid, and within them there was three vertebrae just placed there, which I can't explain why that was done. Uh, there's no explanation at all why anyone would do something like that and then place these bones around. Do you think that they could have been attacked by dogs? Well, uh, that's another thing I've looked in because um, there's quite. I've been speaking to a witness who has been brought up on a farm uh, and a few other people about that were, but with with dog attacks they go for the ankles and you'll see bite marks around the ankles or little bits of fur uh, wool pulled out from the ankles now the, the the wool was everywhere as well the wool was pulled out you know it was scattered all the way around the body uh, it was about two meters around the body with the parts and the bones and everything, it was just totally ripped apart. Um, and a dog really wouldn't do that. They, they, they're more worrying the sheep where they'll go for the legs and then the, the sheep usually dies of exhaustion or, or fright. So, yeah, we, we sort of like, at that point, I, I was thinking maybe this could be a, a big cat attack. Uh, so all the forces that I've got, I did send off to, um, sorry, I can't remember his name, now, but I sent off to a, an expert who runs a Panthora website uh, who deals in a big cat sightings in America and in England. And he said, no, no, it's not a cat 
they can't kill him. He, he said he, he wasn't sure what it was. What do you think about what they were saying then about the red eyes? That is strange. Now, going with that, we, we, well, I've not come across an animal with red eyes. I shine is usually white or yellow, you know, like with cats. Uh, but we have had another sighting. Our uh, Debs has had a, a sighting, which is on her map, not far from that area, where someone's been driving home. Well, they, they've been out for a drive round Rivington area, which isn't too far from, well, it's, it's on the bottom of Winterhill. And this was about two o'clock at night, and um, he bit his insomnia, went for a drive with his friend. Um, he was coming out of Rivington Village and going towards what would be Chorley. Out, out, out the side of his car, just uh, near a garage, he saw something, what he, he explained was about seven foot tall, had red eyes that were the same size of, as a person's hands. And he did actually go back uh, to see whether there was any reflectors around there and nothing nothing at all. Have there been any other sightings then, or is that the only other one that, that you know of? Well, there is one which, uh, another one that's on me, um, YouTube channel, and uh, that's a lady who's, who in 2012 went up there to watch the beacons being lit for the Queen's Jubilee. She'd gone up there with three friends. Uh, she'd gone up to the top, and what she found suspicious was that she, this is the one who, who's been brought up on fans, uh, so she, she knows her stuff when it comes to sheep and, and cattle. Um, and she said that they went up to an area which is uh, north of uh, Winter Hill called Great Hill. And from there, you can see all the beacons being lit from uh, Darwin, uh, Rivington Pike, um, and even over to uh, Pendle And she said she thought she'd go there because it'd be quieter. Um, she ended up going up there. When she was on the way up there, she met another friend who was going up with a, with a group of friends. So they ended up having a, a bit of a party and that, and, you know, like, sort of celebrating uh, this event. And she said, but when they got up there, all the sheep were huddled together. Now, she had a, a dog with her, which was used to, you know, it was a sheep dog used to moving the sheep. So she got it to move the sheep away. But they kept coming back and huddling together near where the you know, near humans, you know, which is unusual because sheep, they tend to run away when we go near them. Uh, she said she did this about two or three times. Uh, after a bit, they, they just left them and uh, they, they had a laugh. Um, some group of friends who they met up there were having a few drinks, but she didn't have a drink with her friends. And they, and they met up with this old, like, older gentleman who um, had all these camping gear with him. After everything had happened, the fireworks and all that, uh, the beacons being lit, they decided to go down. This being about half eleven, um, half, yeah, between half eleven and twelve, and stupidly enough, they'd gone up there without torches. So the fellow who had all his camping gear on, they decided to walk down with him, um, and she only had her uh, flip flops on as well, which is quite ash ground up there. <laughs> It's not, she's not really thought this through, has she? No, she's not. <laughs> anyway, they were walking down, and uh, when they got to an area which is called White Coppice, uh, there's a gorge there, and the, the lads who'd been drinking went down there with one of her friends who, um, who she worked with, and she went the other way. So there were four of them that had gone the other way. There were th three friends and uh, this gentleman, and she said all of a sudden the dog stopped, and she, she, like, walked into the dog and, and said, come on, you know, like, what are you doing? So I've been silly. And, and it had all its echoes up. Uh, and she, they heard a groan. And she was thinking, oh, no, you know, like, she didn't, she thought she'd get her dog on, a, on the lead because she didn't want uh, it fighting with another stray dog up there. But up there in the middle of nowhere, there won't be any stray dogs or anything like that. So they carried on walking a little bit and... As they were going along, there was a, the, 
it goes down a little bit on, on the left on the side of this path and there's a, a a wall and she said what she thought she saw a cow now up there there are no cows um they're not it's there's, there's, there's sheep up there but no cows but what she saw was something that she said about four foot she her first instinct were cow until it moved and it moved really quick now the torchlight caught it so they saw this thing moving uh and then it it really scared her uh you know to the point where it, she was like you know we need to get going so uh, this this path is uh, about where she was it's another mile to to get to the car park and she said on the way down the dogs which she had which were with them were kept stopping in front and looking from left to right on the path following whatever they couldn't see um this night i, I didn't mention this night was a full moon so it was lit up a bit as well so they had this torch and a bit of moonlight but they never saw anything they were watching the dogs looking from left to right every so often down this path until they got down to the bottom. And I, I think they, they were so many metres away from the gate. And she looked around to her friend and said, come on, hurry up, I'm sort of freaked out, we need to get going. And as she turned around and looked, she saw about a football pitch away. She saw something move near a wall, near the wooded area. And there's a bit of a plantation down there. And she saw this thing moving and it started running towards them. Now she said it moved really quick because she sort of explained that counting to one to five, anything running from one side of a football pitch to the other in that five seconds, you know, you you don't know what sort of thing it is. You know, I, I can't think of any animal that could run that quick. No. Uh, and it said it, it got near them and then sort of slowed down. But she couldn't make out what it was because it was too dark, but it was something big. Uh, and it said growling at them. And her instincts were... She, uh, that, at one point, they said, took the dogs off the lead. She put the she put the dog on the lead and they really, like, rushed from there because all four of them heard this noise, uh, heard this growling. And... They quickly got to the car and, and drove off. But she said um, she was that frightened that she actually lost a toenail because she'd only had the flip-flops on because it's at quite ash ground there. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's another sighting of um, this thing that's been uh, seen in her. And we, we go over to Tockles, uh, which is not far from Greyshill, which is another wooded area. It's called Roddlesworth Wood. It goes down into a, a valley with all this wooded area and, and the reservoirs are in there as well. Uh, and there's been uh, some bushcrafters who came forward and said that they were there camping and as they were sitting across from each other, one of them said that his friend's face just drops because what he's seen in, in background was something about four foot tall running along the skylight of the trees. There's a movement so quick, which, you know, like frightened them to the, I think they ended up packing up and uh, taking the stuff home. So was, was this, was it running on all fours then, or was it sort of like crouched down and running? Because I'm, I'm wondering whether it was the same creature as, as the one that the lady saw. See, I'm not sure because it's... Um, Sightings we've had, some of them it's crouched down on all fours and then other times it's been stood up. The other sighting is, uh, well, no, there wasn't another sighting. There was, there, there was a growling of, uh, in the 80s, somebody got in touch with me and said in the 80s, his family owned a, a, a newspaper shop and they had a Saturday lad. And he said one, one Saturday after this lad had finished his uh, rounds, he met up all his, with all his mates outside the shop to go camping up on Rivington in the China Gardens, uh, you know, like see you, have a nice time. And uh, he like sort of forgot about it. And then he, he, he saw him uh, the Saturday after and uh, said, oh, I did your camping trip. Bro. And he said, well, we got up there, uh, we set up 
we got growled at by something. We don't know what it were, but it, it were an horrible growl that really frightened us. And these are lads in the 20s at that time. Uh, they, they decided to pack up and, and just go back home because it frightened them that much. You know, Angles, Ark, Winter Hill, um, uh, Tockles. So it, it, whatever it is, it's moving around the area. And uh, we, we've had some sheep, quite a lot of sheep kills as well. Have you had any um, any sheep kills recently then? The last ones we had were the February. Um, we we within February we found eleven all in that state where they'd just been ripped to bits. Um, seven of them on one field, and then as you go over on the other field, you you, you move over along this field, and there's a little wooded area, and then on the other side of the we found uh, like four more. Uh, so we are finding them not in, in one place. We're finding them on other fields as well, which we've named like Killfield 1, Killfield 2. Uh, have you spoken to the farmers? Now, uh, one of the group has spoken to a farmer who's just turning around and saying, oh, it's just a dog. We're used to this. This is just a dog. And that's, that's the only uh, reaction we've had. Uh, apart from that, we, we've some of them were still there, like uh, within a month, with their ears, with the tags still on their ears. Um, some of them have now been removed, and we've been talking about it a lot on on the on on the sites and everything. Uh, they they've probably gone up and removed them now. Can I ask you what you think it is, mate? Well, <laughs> I don't really want to say. I I, I don't. I don't know what it is because I've had sightings of cats, big cats. You know, uh, have you had sightings of big cats up in that area? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've had two sightings of uh, big cats in that area. Okay. One uh, from someone who used to work up there who got in touch with me and said he, he were out doing his rounds and it was just a twilight. The sun would do, he, he called it the golden hour because he, he's a photo photographer as well. So, you know, he likes that time of night where he can take a few snapshots. And he said, he, he looked over to he, where he was over on this hill and he said he, he saw like a, an outline of a, of a cat. Well, not a small cat. A big, at first he thought it was a dog because it was that big. And then he was looking around, he didn't see the owners. And he said, uh, next minute, this thing just, it, it got up and it stretched like a cat and it slinked off like a cat. It, it had a long tail like a cat. And he, he said, what really made him think it was a cat is as it was sat there, he looked at the head and it was like flat on the head, like a, a, an ordinary domestic cat would be. But he said he knew it went domestic because it was too small and too far away. You know, he, he wouldn't have been able to see it otherwise. Uh, he's seen red eye shine while he's been working, which he thought was a fox. But again, the cat wouldn't have red eye shine. There could be many things up there. They, you know, they, they, they're, I've had sightings of phantom dogs, um, which just recently um, one lady said she was coming back uh, from Orich, going over... Belmont and towards Abbey Village, and uh, there's a there's an old farm there, uh, which uh, I, th I think they breed Dobermans, and she was going past there, and they saw a dog at the gate, and as she was getting closer, this dog step came out, uh, and they thought they did it. They got out of the car, they looked round, they couldn't find it anywhere. They looked in the wooded area, couldn't find it anywhere. And this were about this time of year as well. So we've been up recently looking around because it was this time of year. And uh, you can see right into these woods. So anything running off, we, they would have seen it, definitely would have seen it. I think you, you talked about this in one of your videos, didn't you, on your um, on your YouTube site? The, I interviewed the lady and uh, talked about what happened. Yeah. So the just going back to these sheep kills then, do you think that there might be an aspect of the paranormal involved or do you think it is something physical but we don't know what it is that's doing it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I sometimes think, yeah, this could be paranormal. And then I think, if it's paranormal, why is it 
leaving the sheep in the state that they're in? You know, is it interdimensional? Is it coming through while it's moving from A to B? Does it realise it's moving in dimension and it's just going and getting the food that it would get and then move back? Um, Saying that, I, I think that because this has all happened since October last year up until February. And at the moment, because I've not been up this week, there's been nothing else like that around. Uh, I have had one person coming to me and saying um, they've been up in a place near Brinskull, um, which is on um, the White Coppice area. They found a dead sheep there, but the farmer had come up and removed it straight away. So I don't know what state that was in. So I'm, I'm unsure. I do feel sometimes this is paranormal because I'm getting, there's a mixture of everything up there. We, we, we're getting all sorts of uh, witnesses coming forward and, and telling me what what they've been through. Uh, Actually, do you have any UFO sightings up there? Yeah. Yeah, we, we've um, just got two this week, actually. One in that same area is a black phantom dog, which is around, the, I, I believe, is around the same area as the um, the Mappet report that Steve Mira put out, uh, which I don't really know that much about that, but I do know it was within around that area. A fella coming back from Kendall, he'd been up there because... Um, his brother, his brother-in-law was leaving his wife, and they were on the way back. And um, they were coming back in a van, and, and it was his uh, father-in-law who was driving. He said he's, he's not a crazy driver, so he, he was just doing the normal speed down that road. Because around there, where would it be where it is? You know, like you get a lot of speeders. Uh, so he, he was going down, and he was passing this house, and he said he looked to the left, and he said he saw loads of lights. He said what he thought was a triangle-shaped craft with loads of lights around it. And he said it looked as though where all the lights were shining, it actually looked as though there were small beings walking around. Now, when I asked him about this, uh, he actually said um, it's the same as the Rendlesham Forest. You know, like he'd just seen it recently. And he, he said when he was watching that, that was the first thing he thought, is that, oh, I've seen that, uh, you know, but... It, it, so yeah, explained that he'd seen this, and um, his brother-in-law who was with him. Uh, he, he said, "Stop the van! I want to see what what this is." And uh, the father wouldn't stop, and he said, and his brother-in-law just said, "Oh, well, no, it's just a pub, isn't it?" Because it, it was that bright and shining through everything. He, he actually looked up and thought, "Oh, a pub in middle of woods," which <laughs> no, there's none up there. And then further down the. the there's another one of, um, this was in 1998. This fellow got in touch with me on Saturday, I think it was. And uh, he said he, he was fishing at a lodge up there uh, with his like two lodges um, just outside of Belmont itself. Uh, and it's uh, the two like little fishing reservoirs owned by the uh, Northwest Water. So they, they were out there, for, there were four of them fishing. And he, he used to fish, and, and where he worked, he'd, when he got enough, he'd go down there and, you know, give them to some lads down there, you know, because they, they, his job, is like, he's, he works through nights uh, sometimes, and, uh, and he was out there, he was, I think he had a couple of days off, and he was out there fishing with his friends. Uh, his other friends who were at the factory were sat outside at, at the exact same time. Uh, they were having a cigarette. So he said all of a sudden there was a bright light over the red. And at that time, in the 90s, you know, his first thought was, now his first thought is helicopter. But then you didn't really get police helicopters flying around. Um he said the bright light, it was just a really, really bright light. It lit up everything like a football stadium. He said it, it lifted, it just appeared over the reds, lifted up um, and just zoomed off. He said it was like it zoomed off like the Star Trek, uh, the Enterprise. You know, it just, it's so one minute and then it just went poof. 
uh, over the area, over the mast uh, area. Um, he, he actually, when they finished fishing and he'd gone, gone back to where he works, taking the fish down, uh, one of the fellas who, who at that point, having, having the cigarette outside, said, uh, you know, like we've been sat here and we're sure we've seen a UFO. We saw something go up in the sky and then move off. He said, yeah, we were just underneath it. You know, and they just said having a laugh about that. There have been historically a lot of sightings, haven't there? A lot of UFO sightings upwind. Yeah. I mean, do you think that the because for people that don't know, there are the uh, the television masts on the top of Winter Hill, and in in the good old days before we had satellite and cable TV, they were the main sort of boosters, weren't they, for the terrestrial TV channels? So they've been there for uh, for many many years. I mean, I remember them being there when I was when I was a young lad, which is an awful long time ago now. So do you think that um, they could possibly act as a sort of magnet for this UFO activity? And in fact, do you think that they could act as a magnet for this other unexplained um, phenomena that, that you see in with, you know, these these strange creatures, whatever they are? Do you think, do you think that that could have something to do with that as well? Well, yeah, it, it could do. It could be drawing like some sort of energy around it. You know, they could, it could be causing some sort of energy over there because we, we do have the ley lines as well with the energies running through them, which quite a few cross over these areas because uh, there's quite a lot of uh, burial mounds around there, older and ancient burial mounds, uh, Bronze Age burial mounds, and they all seem to or my understanding that they all seem to be along their lines as well, these sacred burial sites. Uh, so it, it could be a mixture of everything. It could be the the land itself being so ancient and so full of spirits that it could have something that's attracting it that way. And with the UFOs, I, I don't know. Perhaps they, I mean, with my understanding that they, they do seem to fly along their lines. Uh, because that's another phenomenon that with, with the UFOs and, and, and ley lines, they sort of connect as well. Yeah. Uh, these energy grids. I discussed this with Paul Sinclair. There's a ley line, in fact, there are two ley lines that run, they intersect very close to Pendle Hill. And the one that runs from west to east actually um, crosses the northeast coast where Paul's based. Um, that's just actually north. It's it's just sort of around the Whitby area. Um, so I'm a great believer that you know there are UFO. There's a lot more UFO activity along ley lines, and is it, if as you say there are ley lines that are crossing Winter Hill, and especially if there's any intersection of ley lines, then I think you're right. That could explain why there is you know so much certainly UFO activity. Um, but I'm just really interested in this these cryptid sightings and trying to get to the bottom of, of what they are, because to see something with uh, red eyes like that, I think is really unusual. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've we've seen it ourselves while we've been up there, or we've seen something what we thought it could have been. Uh, we were up there one evening, and Lee, one of, one of the members, he, um, he's got some... Uh, night vision goggles uh, and he was using them and we're all up there with these torches that are like 6,000 aluminum so it's like a, you know like we like to play us up like when we're up there uh, whatever this was when we look when we look back at it we, we were under the impression that this whatever it was it was watching us and it was following us uh, he was looking with his binoculars you know where everything is reversed, you know, like with the light. And uh, he saw what was a look like a sheep because it was just a white thing moving, and it was uh, at the edge of the quarry. So he saw this, he, he didn't say anything at first, and then he saw an eye. So it, it, it looked as though it turned sideways. He moved away to say to us, sort of like this summer over there, shining torches over there, and he put them back on, and then he saw two eyes shine. And um, one of the ladies who were with us, um, she saw the eyes as well. Now, myself, when I shone the torch over, I saw something move. And it was 
It was fur, but it was very dark fur. And it was about an inch long, this fur. Um, but that was at a quick glance at it uh, because it, it, it just moved to, to, to the left. But as Lee were watching it, he could see it bobbing up, watching us, and then back down again, going up, back down again. It did this about four times. Uh, so Lee rushed over uh, with us behind, rushing over with our torches, shining on the, the, the point of where, where it was. Uh, when we got to the edge, it was nowhere to be seen. And this is a sheer drop of uh, about 20 foot. Uh, and it was such a still quiet night, we would have heard anything moving around. And at that time, there was no sheep around as well. Um, it would just as they were they'd taking, them, taking them in for lambing. Uh, they're all up back up there now. Uh, we have noticed that. Uh, but at that, that night, they weren't. So a couple of days after, we went back up again, because we just, it was one of thinking, you know, you just can't get over it. We, we've seen some of it. We don't know what it is. You know, we, we need to go up and investigate, see if there's any evidence around. We, we couldn't find any evidence around. We've actually got trail cameras up there, and, um, at the moment, you know, like to see whether we can get anything that way. Yeah. Have you picked anything up on the trail cams then? Uh, just deer at the moment. Right. Because you're going, just going back to what you were saying about sheep. I mean, obviously, this time of the year, there's a lot of sheep with lambs in the field. So you would expect that there would actually be, I mean, a sheep's a fairly easy target, I would have thought, for a, for a large carnivore. Um, yeah. But lambs more so. Uh, and obviously, there's, there's a lot of them out in the field. So, not that I would wish you to be finding any mutilated lambs or, or even mutilated sheep. It's not nice to find either of them. But I'm just wondering whether this time of the year may well be when you see more um, activity than, than others. Well, that's what I was thinking. You know, I, uh, we, we might see some more activity because this time last year we weren't up there looking around. So we don't know uh, from, you know, like from this time of year up. To only up to October. I mean, it started up. It started on the twenty fifth of October, um, so and we from then up to uh, February. You know, that's when we had the the most activity up there. We were finding these sheep, but we've not had anything since. So they've taken the sheep and they've let them back out. And like you say, I mean, we, we don't know what we're going to go up to when we go up there uh, again towards the weekend. Yeah, so it's a, it's a recent thing, isn't it? It's it's only been happening over the last six months or so. So I wonder why that would be. Do you have any thoughts about that at all? Well, I don't know anyone who's been doing what we're doing before that. So we don't know whether that has been going on a long time. Uh, but saying that, the, the lady who was up at Great Hill, who had, the, who had it growling at her, she said her friend has seen... Uh, some carcasses up there which had been moved straight away. That was before uh, um, that. That was before all the interviews. Before we started uh, getting up there and uh, investigating. So right at the beginning of, of the chat, you mentioned werewolf. Do you think it could be a werewolf? And and the reason I asked that is because I know that other people have seen things which they have described as they describe them as werewolves. Um, and again, I was talking to Paul. Um, about this and, and he said that there'd been what he would describe as either dogman or werewolf sightings up on the east coast do you think it could be a similar phenomenon here up on winter hill i think we could have something like that i, I do yeah it's a possibility because uh, the witness who, who was growled at up on greater like when I asked her, what was your impression? You know, the first thing that comes to your mind when, when this happened to you, what what was you thinking? And she said, well, it, it was like American werewolf in London. You know, so when people are describing something like that and they're, and they're saying things like that, then it's a possibility it could be something like that, a dogman, a werewolf. The werewolf of Winter Hill has quite a, a ring to it. Yeah, well, yeah, we've turned it the beast of Winter Hill at the moment. <laughs> You're going to be carrying on doing your investigations. You've got a, a YouTube channel, haven't you? Can you can you just tell us um, the name of the YouTube channel and any websites that you might have? Well, I've got uh, mickmclaren.com. If anyone goes to that, you can go to... 
any other media I have got out there. I've got all the links set up so you can go straight to it. And it's Mick McLaren on a, a YouTube channel. Uh, simple Mick McLaren. <laughs> well, I'd, I have looked at, at some of your, um, your YouTube videos um, and they're quite atmospheric, some of the ones that you when you're up there in the early morning. I mean, that whole area reminds me very much of Pendle Hill. Um, it's a very similar sort of terrain and, and, and landscape. And it's especially creepy when you've got the fog coming down and it's dark and, and you know, you're walking around with torches and stuff and, and you're looking out for things. So I really enjoyed your videos. So I, I, I can only um, encourage people to go and have a look at your website and have a look at your YouTube videos because I, I, I think they are really good, really interesting. Um it's been fascinating talking to you, Mick. It's also been a little bit scary. I, I think there is obviously, from what you've said, there is obviously something um, really quite strange going on at Winter Hill and, and good luck with any further investigations. And I hope that you get to the bottom of it, whether that be good or bad, depending on what it is you find. As I say, it's been really good talking to you. Thanks very much. I've really enjoyed it. Can I just remind everybody to, to check out my website, www.craigbryant.co.uk. Paranormal Pendle podcast will return. I've got a very special guest for the next episode. And remember, keep watching the shadows. Bye.